Welcome to She Inspires Me. I'm your host, Caroline Bruni, founder of She Inspires Me and Organise Curate Design. Launched as a Facebook passion project back in 2017, She Inspires Me has been reborn to highlight the incredible women we all encounter in our everyday lives and how we can take inspiration from them. Thanks to our key sponsor, Organise Curate Design, I welcome you to listen and get inspired as we showcase these incredible women. Welcome to another episode of She Inspires Me. Today is officially the last episode of season one and the last episode of 2020. And I have with me my very dear friend. I'm going to give you, I'm going to first of all just do your formal Rebecca Barry and then never call you that again because it's so weird. Rebecca Barry, (laughs) welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Congratulations on your podcast, madam. I have listened to every episode and um, I am inspired weekly by the cavalcade of stars that you have had the opportunity to talk to. So well done. It has been such a fun time. Now I'm going to dive straight in. Um, You have... It was funny because when we spoke, we've spoken a few times before today's episode and um, you have a pretty extensive bio and you're like, just cut it down. It's super boring. I'm like, hell no. We are going to share all of your things. So let me get stuck in. So up until September this year, Beck Barry was the general manager, organisational development for Venues Live. Prior to this role, Beck was the general manager of human resources um, for Venues Live at Optus Stadium in Perth. In this role, she was responsible for establishing the team of 80 permanent and 2,000 plus casual staff that delivered Optus Stadium to the people of Western Australia and Australia. Her portfolio um, encompassed the operational delivery of all human resource, HR, I'm going to start just calling that HR because everyone knows what I'm talking about now, um, and event staffing services, providing leadership in all HR and event staffing matters, as well as recruitment, training, industrial relations, performance management, and policy development. Prior to the Optus Stadium role, she was the GM HR at um, the Royal Agricultural Society, RAS, of New South Wales. In that role, she oversaw all human resource elements for the RAS Sydney Showgrounds, RAS Foundation, Australasia Animal Registry and Australia's largest annual ticketed event, the Royal, um, the Sydney Royal Easter Show. Now, anyone that's based in Australia knows how big that event is. Major achievements that Beck is particularly proud of in, um, of in this role include implementing people-focused programs that saw employee satisfaction grow from 48% in 2006 to 96% in 2015 and reducing employee turnover from 43% to 12.5%. Additionally, Beck oversaw the delivery of the Sydney Royal Easter Show event volunteer program consisting of over 400 event customer service volunteers. In 2013, this volunteer team won the Regional Volunteer Team of the Year awarded by the New South Wales Centre for Volunteering. Prior to her role at the RAS, Beck was held, um, has held several other senior HR roles, including manager, um, HR event staff and administration at Stadium Australia. In this role, she managed the establishment of a 700-strong event customer service team for the Olympic Stadium in Sydney. In 2001, this team won the Parramatta 
City Chamber of Commerce Awards for Business Excellence, Excellence in the Delivery of Customer Service. With two major venue openings in three years, relocating the, um, across the country twice, and COVID-19 allowing some time, she's allowing some time for a pause. Right now, Beck is on an endless summer with her husband, Peter, taking time to rest, reflect, recharge, whilst giving some serious thought to what 2020 and beyond might look like. So I'm super jealous. Don't we all want an endless summer? I know that I spoke to you a little while ago and you were like, oh, I'm not going to send you any photos because I feel really bad. And I was in restrictions at the time. I was like, please send them to me so I can see what the rest of the world looks like. <laughs> endless summer, is it? Is it amazing? It's, it is amazing. We've been so lucky because in New South Wales we have been allowed to move about a bit. So um, we're left, yeah, we, we've, we've seen a bit of this beautiful country, it's an interesting thing. You feel very, very guilty because so many people that I know and love, like you and, and lots of our other friends, um, have not been allowed, literally have not been allowed to leave their house. Um, and so it's really hard balancing how content and happy I feel um, with the experience of you guys, particularly in Melbourne. So it's – you can you feel funny celebrating it, actually. It's a, it's a real, it's, it's kind of, there's a tension there, and I know it's mine, it's not, no one's putting it on me, but it's just been quite mindful to be kind to those that are not um, as lucky as we are to have been in New South Wales for all that time. Yeah. So the restrictions weren't so tight, of course. Now, I'm going to go back a step because there's so many things I want to talk to you about today. Um, but I, I, Anyone that's listened to all of the episodes, and there are a few, like I, I love the diehard, so thank you to the diehard She Inspires Me fans who literally every Wednesday log in, download, do their thing. But I just want to make sure that everyone listening to this episode understands how excited I am because, first of all, you took a bit of convincing, so I'm just super pumped that I convinced you and we had some tech issues this morning and I didn't let you kind of go, it's too hard, it's too hard. I was like, we're doing it anyway. We're just going to be patient and we're going to get there. So yes. we got there in the end. And in addition to that, you are by far one of the first people that come to mind when I think of people who advocate for uh, advocate for others and you are the reason, like I will adamantly, hands down, always put this out there, that if it wasn't for you, this podcast wouldn't exist in this format. Now, I know that I had to do the doing and I had to find the guests and I have to do this thing every week that I do. I totally get that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it takes this it takes the person that says hey you should do or have you thought of or I'll help you or whatever um, and it was interesting when I spoke to Fiona Higgins who you were lovely enough to introduce me to she spoke about that and how that's how she started writing and she had these beautiful friends who were like I'll help you don't worry if you don't really know I'll get you through it and so for the listeners out there this is the woman that I 100% thank all the time for the fact that I get to do this super cool um, job, if that's what you want to call it, and get to create this podcast. So um, you and I have been friends for quite some time now. I don't actually know how long we've been friends for. We've known each other in lots of different lives in that sense. Um, but you've had 
like as we just heard, a really impressive career. You're, you're enjoying a bit of downtime at the moment. But I want to take, I always love taking the listeners back to kind of who you were prior to. Can you describe maybe 10-year-old Beck? Or you can pick another age range if you've got one, like a story that you're like, this is great. Tell us, what was um, what was Beck Barry 10-year-old like? I think typically 10. <laughs> your face is now, I know no one can see your face, but I can, it's hilarious. <laughs> um, I, so I reckon you're in about year five when you're 10, I think, five or six. Yeah, about that, yeah. I, I know that I was hanging out with my best friend, Kim, who I met in kindergarten, and um, to this day is still my most cherished and beautiful friend. Um, so we spent a lifelong a life together and, um, you know, all the skating and, and swimming and, and having lots of fun and, and doing those 10-year-old things. But I think um, I think people did comedy bossy. Um, I, I love like, that, though. How good is that as a skill? Well, do you know what? I, I actually what we'd call that today, we'd say she's got leadership potential. Yeah, a hundred percent leadership. Um, so leadership. leadership. <laughs> I had leadership potential. Um, I was the oldest of four, um, so I, I think I was just doing what was needed as the eldest kid, like helping out my my young the youngest in our family's um, five years younger than me. Um, so mm. you know, just helping out as much as you can. Mum and Dad both worked, of course, and um. So you just kind of got involved in, in whatever was necessary. I think at 10, I was incredibly happy. Um, yeah. I, I loved school. I loved learning. Um, and it was all about friends, family, and fun. We had a beautiful network of families that we used to do lots of things together. So we always felt a part of a really beautiful community and very connected. Yeah. And I, and I think... For someone that's known you for, I'm going to say maybe like ten years or so. Yeah. That's that's what I'm kind of averaging at. Yeah. I probably I haven't really sat down and worked it out. Yeah. But um, that sense of people and community is such a such a thread in you and and what I see you do all the time. And I haven't ever worked with you in the capacity of you and I working together in the events industry. Mm-hmm. We just know each other through the industry. Mm-hmm. So, do you think you knew way back when that the human people part was going to be the part? Like, was events the path? Was it people? What What was the path that got you to to the, all the amazing things you've done that we just heard about in your bio? Yeah, well, events was never the path. It didn't even close. I don't think that when when I was at school, I'm not sure that was even a thing. Was I? No. Nah. Sure. Yeah, I was a bit like that. Too. But, I think, you know, you can predict that based on, on uh, the bossiness and three younger siblings, um, I desperately wanted to be a school teacher. Um, and, I had, you know, I used to have the three of them sitting down doing school at home. Like I'd be the teacher, they'd be the students. And like on a rainy Sunday, and my mum would say, just go and play, you know, go, go away. Um, so we'd go in the manager and we'd set up a classroom and I'd, I'd be the school teacher. But, um, I left year 12 and went straight into uni and I just hated it. It wasn't for me. It, it what, were you, what were you studying at uni? I was doing a commerce degree because um, I decided by then I didn't want to do teaching. So I thought, oh, probably something in business. I don't know what, but, but it was a commerce degree. And it wasn't the right time for me. It, I wasn't ready and certainly uni wasn't ready for me. It was so structured and it was really 
I found it hard, so I lost this wisdom. And um, Dad very ge- generously um, met me up with some of his network in hospitality. I ended up um, in hotels for a number of years where I um, had extraordinary mentors and teachers. Um, you know, we opened Parramatta Travel Lodge. I'm going to say maybe 32 years ago, maybe. And some of the people that I worked on that opening with are still very, very close friends today, and I'm, I'm absolutely blessed with that. Um, and then fell into uh, the Olympic Stadium world because I think because of having that large casual workforce management um, experience, um, I was given the opportunity by um, you know, people that you probably know as well, Caroline Anthony Duffy and um, Dale Carey, to join that team. Yeah. And it only went from there, right? Um, it was by accident, really, and it's been, I think, 20-something years, 25 years, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's a complete accident, but it's such a happy accident, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm so blessed to have had the opportunity to do the wonderful things I've had the opportunity to do. Yeah, and that's the thing about the events industry as well, be it whatever facet you're in, um, uh, for those of well, those of the listeners that don't don't know, I I had a really niche part of the industry. I was um, working in the event um, first aid part, so providing care to to patrons and and staff. But um, you know, I was managing teams that were doing that, and mm-hmm. and there are all these little niches in the industry. Like um, I guess your day to day patron just sees the event and the thing that they buy the ticket for. They don't really see all the the hub of yeah. worker ants. And worker bees behind the behind yeah. the hive, sort of thing. Um, and and you can, you can take a career. So people, sorry, you can find yourself in events. It's it's not all about <laughs> ticket taking and showing people to seats. It's it's so much bigger than that. Yeah, and there's so there's such an army that makes the experience happen. Mm-hmm for the artist on stage and for the patron sitting in the seat or whatever it is like depending on the event now people 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 um such a big part of what you do um when i read that that stat or the fact of you reducing employee turnover from 43 percent to 12.5 percent my mind was blown because i know how challenging it is to run a team of people large people um a large team of people sorry and um i know that that is a challenge so what how does that work how do you shift that and what does it take be it for the culture or the environment or a combination of everything like what is it um just close out the last one i did go back to uni and i loved it the second time also i was like pig in mud um, I think I think it takes persistence and it takes patience. Um, this was at the RAS, so at Sydney Showground, Easter Show, all of those amazing, all the Sydney Royal competitions. Um, and I think that as I joined, there was a real shift from having moved from Moore Park to Sydney Olympic Park, been going there for a number of years, and there was a real shift in wanting to just develop the organisation in a different direction through the board and the council. And we saw a really major shift in the leadership and it was it was necessary. So it's an organisation that is nearly 200 years old. I think in 2022 it will be 200 years old. And it's seen in tradition and history. And 
you respect and love that so much. It's such a special place to work because there's just so much history and, and everything has a story. Um, but we just had to harness the energy and there were a group of people there at that time that were really up for it. They, they were ready for a change, um, led by an amazing president at the time um, and, a, and a really fantastic council. And we just decided that we would put people at the centre of the processes and the decision-making. So when you're about to change something, we're not just improving a process. What does it mean for the people and how are the people going to feel and touch that? So we really went about leadership with kindness and compassion, um, but with a firmness that gave people the confidence that would be honest with them when we needed to be honest with them, and I think that's important. Um, they're adults, uh, and so they're happy to have adult conversations. We don't need to, to hide when things aren't going well. You know it's not going well, so let's just get in having the open and, and let's just sort it out and deal with it. Um, calling it out when you see it. We made a commitment to really celebrating everything good that was happening and dealing with things that kind of needed addressing. Putting some structures in place that identified talent and really nurturing it. We had this really beautiful group, emerging managers. I what they called emerging leaders group of kind of junior managers who have just been promoted and I worked with them fortnightly and. Um, what a rewarding experience, and, and those people now are managing bloody everything. Like, get out of their way. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they're absolutely they're, feeling it right now. Yeah, um, and we really focused on employee attachment. So that kind of first ninety to one hundred and twenty days, making sure that when people joined us, we were really making sure that all those touch points that are so very important were being addressed. Their needs were being addressed, and we were um, having check-ins and, and so forth. And that was. That was quite a game changer, just bringing that effort right up front, not just chucking in the deep end and saying, well, your manager will meet you on Monday and good luck with that, but really partnering and um, making sure that they knew that they were supported and they, that we have open conversations. If it's not going well, you're going to know about it, but if it's not going well for you, we want to know about it, of course. Mm. So then they're attached yeah. and they feel far more engaged and that longevity then is far more likely. Um and those open conversations, being brave enough to talk through things that just needed to be to be talked about. So those were the, it, look, it, it wasn't hard. It was about having the right people that believed in a form of leadership that was about kindness and nurturing, but firmness is definitely firmness with that. Mm. Um, but really putting people at the centre of your decisions so that um, where those things touch the people, it's not knocking them over, they're coming with you and they're loving it. Yeah, and those touch points are so important as well, right the way throughout, and and that it was really important for me to kind of hear that because I know that the fundamentals of what you just said can be applied to any organisation, but even a family structure, uh, a new group of friends, and then like someone moves from interstate and and you're trying to integrate them into your group. That, that fundamental, what you just said, you can apply oh, to yeah. so many different areas of, of your life. And yeah. and I think that's the key, is realising that as um, managers, leaders, business owners, whatever our role is, parents, whatever it is, mm. um, we that sense of leadership and, and buy-in and, and bringing people along for the journey is, is incredibly important. Mm. Um, now you've always been kind of my one of my go-tos. Um, every time I have a weird and wonderful idea, and I have a lot of them, as you know. Um, 
I'm always testing the viability of things with you. And um, so I'm not surprised that you were part of this establishing team that moved, in your case, moved from Sydney to Perth um, and created this whole new venue. What is it like to open and launch a brand new venue? Um, the connection hasn't dropped out. I just don't have the words to describe. <laughs> <laughs> just like just thinking, guys, just thinking. That will be a good one. Yeah, well, you know, I don't, I'm not sure it can be described. I think the experience is different for, for everybody. But um, what it takes to do it, uh, you can't do it by yourself. Um, so I think um, it is massive team effort. And one of the things that, that you know, I, I truly believe is just find great people and get out of their way. Like, invite oh. I love that. It's so good. Yeah. So true. Don't get in their way if they would. Just let them do their thing. That's it. So our approach was kind of because we had so many people to recruit. You know, there's really. I mean, our catering GM is working with his guys to buy teaspoons. You know, so it's little things like that. But we're not talking, of, you know, six for a dinner setting. We're talking. Is it 6,000 or maybe 12? I, I, I don't remember the numbers. So, yeah, you need to change. So, our approach really was to set the direction and be really clear with each person about what they were there to do. Agree mm-hmm. what their plan was so they knew and you, you trusted them because you recruited well. Um, mm-hmm. And let's just let smart people get on with it. So, then you guide and you mentor as necessary. Of course, you're always there. They can feel that. that kind of firm hand on the small of their back, just guiding them a little bit and they know that you're there. Okay. Pardon? When you just say, I've got you, yeah, but I don't I've need to do it. Like, I, I'm not doing anything. I'm just right here. If yeah. you need me, I'm right behind you. Exactly. So you, you give them room to grow and explore but with the safety net so that they, they are comfortable to take a little bit of risk because you have to. They are comfortable to make decisions because all the decisions can't come back to one person. So if they feel that safety, um, and they're an amazing team over there. I, I am so proud of the, the job we did pulling that group together. But you can't micromanage. You, you've got to trust them um, to get on and make good decisions. And, you know, um, you go back, you think back and say, well, there are things that I've changed. Of course there are because we learn as we go along. But but overall, what an outstanding um group of people but you know you, being available being accessible working before not locking yourself in the office being seen and being out there prepared to get your hands dirty which I really like unpacking boxes of uniforms like thousands of polo shirts or I mean that's they, fun stuff for a team to do together we break some of them you, you know you have a good time so we're always trying to bring a bit of fun to that though and, and I think when I I have got the words, and when you reflect on that experience, fun would be the thing that I would um, would certainly say. And I think the guys would probably say the same. We really had a good time. Yeah, that's incredible. Now, even though I know that it was fun and it was a huge success, I know personally that it it took a toll on you being, one, being really far away from home. Sydney is home for you. Um, and... I caught up with you. I feel like it was, I'm trying to remember when I was in Sydney and and you just moved back home and we caught up for lunch because I happened to be in Sydney. Um, But 
yeah so it did take a personal toll on you being mm. be it working on a project of that nature whilst also being very far from home so what happened and and mm. and what was the driving force to send you back to sydney I think coming home was about, I went there never to stay. My job was to get it set up, get a really great group of people um, in place um, and then get out of there really. Um, I yeah. think I came home a little bit sooner than I probably had anticipated, but, um, but certainly mm. the plan was always at some stage to come back. But um, my up-to-stadium experience was just unbelievable and I wouldn't change it for anything. They are an outstanding group of people. Um, and opening a venue like that is an all-consuming project. There is no room for anything else. And when I say nothing yeah. else, I mean that. And Peter didn't come with me for a long time because there was just no point. Like, you, you weren't home. and um, Yeah, because you were busy. Like, it's not like you've got time to go and explore Perth. Like, you're exactly working every right. day. Yeah, yeah. Um, people say, did you, what does it all say, did you live in Perth? And I said, I worked in Perth. Um, <laughs> I just happened to get up in that state. <laughs> Two very different things that I have to say. It was beautiful. Um, so healthy humans have a really sensible balance between sleep, exercise and nutrition. Mm. And I was putting all my energy into the well-being of others, all my energy, because it, it was so intense and all-consuming for everybody, not just for me. Um, and so I totally forgot about those, my own well-being. I was doing none of those things. I wasn't sleeping well. I certainly wasn't eating well. Um, and the only exercise I suppose I was getting was moving around the venue is we needed to kind of go to different areas to set things up. Or whatever. Yeah. So, um, and it took a really serious mental toll. Um, yeah, and I, I struggled. I, I, you know, don't like necessarily putting things in boxes, and I'm not a big fan of putting things in boxes. But if you have to describe it, it's it, chronic stress with, with some anxiety, and I think that was around just the enormity. And I really did feel like I was carrying the well-being of everybody, which wasn't the case. We I had such a great leadership team with me. We, we were all doing that, but for some reason, it was just no, you know, that's my responsibility, and they're all my family, and I've really got all comfortable them, and so. Um, I am really privileged to have had that incredible team around me that really valued to support me, and um, and we did some great things. In the middle of all that, um, of course, as you know, my dad passed away, and um, thankfully at that time I was in Sydney, so you know, they would be here with my family, and we were able to kind of go through that together. My brother that lives in England was able to get here in time, um, and it was a beautiful time. It was utterly devastating um my dad is my professional mentor and um but um I was really stubborn about getting back to Perth and Mm. I think in that stubbornness and single-mindedness um I just didn't grieve properly because it was just back yeah. hit the ground running and on you go I'm okay I'm okay I'm okay and and that really weighed really heavily on me for a while um, so yeah. that wasn't a great, you know, it wasn't a great place to be. And having said, I mean, Mike McKenna is the chief executive over there, and um, he is an outstanding man and, and mm-hmm. just so supportive. And, um, and I'm super grateful for him. So having gone that journey with him, because he just he really walks that path with you. Um, so I'm very grateful. But yeah, so that's yeah. that's kind of what 
that's kind of what um, what happened. Um, so you know, live and learn, yeah. don't you? Exactly. And, and I guess what I always found, when I found really interesting when, when you and I spoke about this soon after you'd moved back to Sydney, um, was you have always been the person that supports the people that are going through the thing. <laughs> and I'm curious to know, did you at the time, and I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm curious to see how this played out for you. Did you know that you were going through the thing and could you kind of look at it from the lens of if this was someone else, I would share this knowledge or experience or give them this advice or whatever? Or were you just so in it that no matter what, like living through the experience? Because I think it's really interesting when we are the people that people turn to. Yeah. And we are the people that guide and support and and give all the tools to. And then when we go through our own stuff, sometimes we forget yeah. all the things we know. It's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. You, you absolutely have hit the nail on the head. That is exactly what happened. Um, that's exactly what happened. Um, it was a funny experience, I think. I didn't know what I was going through until the mirror was held up in front of me by a very good friend, Debbie Hogan, who I happened to have met at uni when I went back to uni. I met Debbie at uni and she now runs the event staffing program for the New South Wales operation for Benny's Live. And she came over to Perth and so <laughs> she said to me, um, well, but she came over a few times. She's, she was absolutely my safety net. And she said to me one day, um, I think she arrived on a Tuesday morning. She said, let's go for dinner tonight. And I said, oh, no, I don't think so. There's so much on. We've got to da, da. And she said to me later, weeks later, after we'd been through some stuff, she said, I knew everything wasn't right when you said no to going out for dinner. So, <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, was, there's normally a telling sign when it's out of character for you to do X, Y, Z. Yes, yeah. yeah. And she's like, when you said you didn't want to go out for dinner, I knew that we had a problem. And so she she banned me from coming to the office until I'd been to the doctor. So I went off to the doctor and, and that was brilliant. It was it was absolutely the best thing she could have done. Um, was I shitty with her at the time? I was very shitty. Who do you think you are? What to do? Stop babying me. Yeah, who do you think you are? I've got this. And um and I, I have ever seen I mean we we're so close anyway, but that really um made it uh, just such a close relationship. Um, and I've said to her many times since, I just don't know what would have happened if you hadn't come in and put the handbrake on and said, that's it, you're out, I'm here. And she could do what I could do. So um, so from that point, after going to the doctor and, and having a bit of a talk, and I didn't need to be medicated or any of those sort of things, I just needed to sleep properly. I needed to get outside in the fresh air and stretch my legs and I needed to have a look at what I was putting in my body for fuel. It was it was pretty simple. It was sleep, exercise and nutrition. And I bang on about it all the time. Where people are sick of hearing sleep, exercise and nutrition for me, but it, it is of the secret formula. As I, after I'd been to the doctor and, and we were kind of coming out outside and everything was I was starting to be more aware, I was looking at it as a practitioner, as an amazing case study. And it, it was really weird to kind of, as you said, just sit a bit outside of it um, because you can watch it and you, you're a bit more aware of what's happening and you can see some of the signs. And, and although you're actually living it in the moment, your professional or practitioner brain is going, 
Well, that's interesting. Well, look at what's making that happen. So, um, really, uh, it's going to sound a bit funny to say, but I'm really grateful for that experience because I have learned so much and it's allowed me the insight um, and equipped me so well to better support our team as we opened Bankwest Stadium because I was so much, I, I don't know, I just hadn't the lived experience of that was a real game changer and, and I am grateful yeah. for it. I didn't love it, <laughs> but I am very grateful. Oh, no, at the time it's like the worst thing ever, but when you can work through it mm-hmm. and it is a process, you got to work all the way through it. Um, you can't sidestep any of the steps. You've, you've actually got to do it. Um, but when you can have that moment and say, I did that, and then share that vulnerability with others yeah. because that's, when you when you can really get deep with other people and go, hey, I've done this thing, or yeah. this is how I live through this experience. Yeah. So we've all lived through some pretty pretty challenging experiences this year in all different shapes and sizes. Um, I know we've had some really difficult, robust conversations about just the events industry as a whole. We've our heart, my heart has broken many a time speaking to. Um, different people i know one of the first episodes i did was with our dear friend cookie who um you know just hearing the the, the stats and the numbers of events that had to get cancelled yeah. people that were out of work or yeah. all of the things like it's been a hard year and i don't know like we're still not sure when it's all going to be back to the way it was um what has been your biggest takeaway from this year i think this year has been different for each of us um across the country, obviously, state by state, it's been dealt with differently, but even in our own family units, um, I think for the biggest takeaway, well, for the first, I reckon, eight months of the year, it was really about putting one foot in front of the other and just doing yep. the best you Get can. Get up and Yeah, and doing what needed to be done, whether it was on the work side, whether it was just family or in your own little neighbourhood and community, um, doing those sorts of things. The last quarter, though, I think, you know, we decided to press pause. It was a massive decision to leave jobs, um, excuse me, leave our home, but it was necessary. Um, but I think, <laughs> are we tired of hearing about self-care? I feel like people probably no, think of we, everyone needs to constantly be reminded of self-care yeah. because self-care looks different for everyone as well. Yeah. It's an oldie but a goodie, but, you know, when they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first before helping others, there's a reason they say that um, because mm-hmm. if you're not in great shape, then you're not in great shape to, to help others. So if, if you can make a commitment for a bit of self-care for you, you actually turn up as a better version of yourself. And I think I've always known that, of course, but I think this period has just really said to all of us, what does it take for you? Of course, we've got COVID kilos and, um, you know, we're, we've indulged in a few things that were perhaps, you know, we're cooking three-course meals instead of just having a yeah. salad. Um, but what, what I think we gave ourselves permission to do what we needed to do or felt like we wanted at the time. And mm. that's okay. But as we come yeah. out of this, I want us to really, this emergence, and it's like we're kind of coming out of that beautiful cocoon, I don't want us to lose that sense of community, that sense of looking after each other and more than anything, looking after ourselves and fostering 
um, our own growth and, and self-love, which is just so important. And then that comes outward. You know, the better you are, the more you grow and shine and the more uh, you're able to assist, support and just be there when someone else might need you. Mm, yeah, it's so true. And that self-care, looking after yourself, all of those things, it's incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're currently living your best life, endless summer. What what does it actually take to live an endless Like what do you do? Talk me through a day in the life of endless summer. Oh, well, there's Zumba, there's yoga. Zumba? If listeners want to know what Barry doing Zumba looks like, there's a scene in the house sitter, I think it is, with Goldie Horn and Steve Martin where she's at home in the house by herself doing some aerobic type business. Have a look at that, and that is what Bet Barry's on the look like. Um, so, is it like so, um, Elaine from Seinfeld when she yeah, does her? Well, yeah. It's not quite that bad. Yeah. Um, not that bad? Good. It's a good visual though. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know the scene you're talking about, but if it's not quite there, that's that's the top level of yeah. Google Goldie Horn dance sequence house sitter. And um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we're, we're going to have to. Um, so to the um, as soon as you and I get off the this this morning, we're off to Lifeline for our volunteer shot. Uh, we've opened the line. There's a Lifeline shot open just near where we are, and so Pete and I are um, volunteers at the Lifeline shop. Um, oh, that's so good. Yeah, awesome. And, and great fun, then. And then we've got time to do the giving at the moment. So why wouldn't you? You know, that's. I think that's important. Um, and just recharging the batteries, focusing on sleep and quality sleep, not just, you know, it might be eight hours, but it might not be great quality. So preparing for sleep properly to make sure it's good sleep, really exercising, getting outside, bringing the fresh air, a bit of sunshine, and um, nutrition, eating well. I mean, summer fruit, of course, um, but just – Back to basics, not not anything too fancy, just really back to basics. Yeah. That sounds incredible. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I'm planning to do over the summer, so it yeah. sounds pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that you've obviously, you're in wind-down mode and you've got Lifeline and a few other things. Any other projects, any other things that you're doing now that we are officially in summer? Yes. Look, at the moment we're opening our hearts and minds and you just don't know what happens when you when you do that. Um, I'm mm-hmm. trying, I'm really working hard at not focusing too far forward. Um, really just quite deliberately focusing through to the end of this year and just seeing this out and trying to close this off in the most positive way that we can. Um, there are a couple of things that I'm thinking about and playing with, but it's a little bit premature to talk about them at the moment. But um, my mm-hmm. batteries are fully charged and I'm so excited about 2021. Um, but I don't want to wish away what's left of 2020 because I think we're all emerging now. Yeah, it's a bit of time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, for, for listeners who are enjoying today's episode in their ears, we are releasing this, I think, on the second last day, if I've got it right. So even though right now we're recording, we're like, we've got plenty of time. You've probably got a couple of days left, so make the most of the last few days. Yeah. Hug a loved one. And tell them that you love them. Tell That's them one them. thing I do love about you. We, like, um, 
I don't know. I just, I got to a point in my life where I was like, I'm going to actually say out loud to my friends and family that I love them and it doesn't matter if it makes them awkward and uncomfortable because they need to know that I love them. I'm going to say it out loud and I'm going to do it in public if I need to. And yeah, I like all the time I speak to you and I'm like, love you, bye. And people are like, weird. I'm like, I don't care if it's weird. I need that person to know that I love them. Yeah. And I don't feel awkward saying it. And once you've heard it a couple of times, you actually don't feel that awkward hearing it. Yeah, I don't know why there's this weird rule that, uh, like, I don't know where that came from, but we broke that rule, so that's fine. Um, as I know it is for you, it's certain for me, it is a sincere love. It's not a yeah. show around, I love you. It's, it, no. it's, it is just reinforcing whatever that special connection is and making sure that person knows that they are precious to you and that you are grateful for them in your life, as I am for you. So if that's how you, if you're listening to that and the way that Beck just described that, if you have someone in your life that when you, the first person you think of, call them, text yes. them. Don't text them, actually. Call them. Even leave them a voice memo if you're, yeah. you're just, like, you're rushing around. Send them a voice memo. Tell them that you love them because that's, sometimes you just need to hear that stuff. And yeah. And you need you never know, like life is short and we wanna make sure we tell yeah. people that we love them. Yeah. Now, my favorite wrap up question. Yes. This is gonna be a tricky one for you, I think. Um, who inspires you? <laughs> Your list is new. Okay, before you answer it, right at the start of the well not towards the start of the year, we start talking about the podcast. You're like, I've got a list for you. I'm like, Yeah, cool, thinking it's like a couple of people. Beck sends me a spreadsheet. <laughs> like next level sends me a spreadsheet and I look at it. Well, I haven't even started recording at that point. I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. I was like, you need a short list for me. Like, I don't know what to do. So, you are such, uh, like, you've got a good eye for people that inspire you, mm-hmm. but put you on the spot. Mm. Who's the first person that comes to mind? Who inspires you and why? I have struggled with this. As I listen to you with the other people that you have um, interviewed, I have really struggled because I can't just say one. But I have thought about <laughs> it, so I, I will. My, I am utterly inspired by my aunties. And they are such different women to each other but have really instilled in me the importance and value of having older female voices around you. So not just your mum, not just your grandma, but people that are living completely different lives to you. They don't live near you. They don't, they're not experiencing life the way you're experiencing. But those older female voices, I think, for particularly for young women, are so important. And they have set an extraordinary example for me um, in my auntie and I am my biggest, the greatest goal and objective I'm trying to achieve is to be the best auntie I can be to my fabulous um, nieces and nephews who I absolutely adore. And being an older female voice more generally, not just for my own pod. And and in that then, I can't help being inspired by the young people that are around us, whether I've worked with them or they're in my family um, or whatever. I, I am so privileged to know and be inspired by a group of young people, whether professionally or personally, that are mm. so inspirational. And our future's bright. I don't care what anybody says. When I look at the young people, yeah, me, I agree. 
I there's so much to teach us, and and there's a quote that I've seen a few times recently. There must be a reason. It must have been in preparation for this, and you, it, it is attributed to lots of different people. But it basically says something along the lines of, "If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room." A hundred percent. I love that quote. It's a really good one. Yes. It's, and so these these young people just surprise me and and teach me so much, and they have. You know, I'm really, my, um, my self-worth at the moment is I'm parking the judgment. And when you're working mm-hmm. and, and dealing with young people, you've got to park that judgment because it's not your world, okay. it's not your space. You, you just need to be, you know, whatever that older female voice perhaps. Um, and you, young lady, you definitely inspire me. Young lady, I don't know how young I am, but anyway. I'm putting you on the spot. I want to know when you're recording your episode. Oh, uh, it's so true. We were talking about this a little while ago. Um, we yes, I know. I've had a few listeners and um, people say, "Wait, we get." And I know people get snippets because obviously yeah. I'm part of this conversation, yeah. so they get little insights about me. Um, but it will come. Mm-hmm. It will most likely be in the 2021 season two series. Um, I'll probably just pick a milestone kind of episode, maybe 50, maybe 100. Um, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to, like, yeah. avoid it because it will happen. But I need to work out what to talk about because I have oh, a million Stop. lives. Stop. I, we could do it right now. I haven't even prepared any questions. And I, think <laughs> I just think there would be plenty of your listeners and, and those of us that are connected to you that would love the tables to be turned um, for a little while just for one episode and because I think you bring so much to this conversation and and those that have been listening all the way along we have learned so much about you of course I think it would be a privilege for us to to shine the light on you for a little while and just hear that story a, a little bit more in depth so um, uh, you know, I'd happily interview you, but I think we could find lots of people that would happily interview you. Um, well, I make a promise to you and our listeners that in 2021, so in season two, I will flip the script. We will find someone that is ready yeah. and um, and prepared for a, and it will be a long one because there's a lot of different versions of yeah. like all the different lives and things yeah. to talk about. But yeah, it will definitely happen. I'll, I'll, um, I will definitely do a – I will be a guest on the podcast. We could, we could do part one of part two. Yeah, it's totally fine. I can do whatever I want. It's my podcast. Exactly. Well, it's actually fine. <laughs> I can make it a whole series. See, this, Caroline yeah. this is what I'm saying. Get a good person and let them get on with it. And that's exactly what you've done. Congratulations, Funny. Caroline, truly. And you know I mean that utterly sincerely. I, I, I listen to this every week, first thing Wednesdays, and um, it really sets me up for the day. And Truly, the women that you have on, had on this podcast, I could um, dream to um, to have a network that is just as inspiring and amazing as they are, and just beautiful women. Yeah, I yeah, it gives me goosebumps to think that like, and some of these women I've, I've never met before, and some of them are, are in my network and a range of different things. But it does it gives me goosebumps to think that I have had the privilege of speaking yeah. with these women over over this kind of this is episode 20 that we're listening to so just in itself is like next level I um I was kind of scratching my head the other day going how how did we how did this happen and 
yeah, very, very lucky. That's so, really well, thank you so much. That's really coincidental. That's how old I am. So, um, 20, of course. Yeah, yeah that's why I timed exactly. it up. Like, it was not coincidental. I totally did that on purpose. Happy birthday, Beck. Yeah, Happy 20th. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well done, madam. We're all very proud of you. Oh, no problems at all. Now, I'm going to say thank you for being a guest on the podcast. I am just going to let our listeners know. So, as you've heard, Today is the last episode of 2020, um, 2020 20th episode. How good is that? Couldn't have timed that better. I'm sorry, so clever, even I, even when I don't plan stuff. Um, now, we will be taking a short break over the next few weeks, and um, but we will be back in the ears very quickly. Um, we're only taking a few weeks off um, recording, so we will be back in your ears in 2021 for season two. If we keep rocking things the way that we are, we're probably looking at having at least like 40 to 50 episodes next year because we'll do one a week like we are. So we'll keep, I think the world is full of inspirational women and so let's get their stories out there. But thank you, Beck, and thank you to our listeners and we will chat to you again in 2021. Thank you for joining us today and being a part of this incredible community. Remember to hit subscribe and join us in our next episode to be inspired by more exceptional women.